Today, I'm joined with Andrew Kayser here. We're going to talk a little bit about medical device brokers. Andrew's been in the industry about 10 years. He was with Large Ortho. He's been with Medium Ortho. Now he would describe himself, I believe, as a medical device broker. So Andrew, welcome. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So Andrew, what caused you to think about the industry different? Yeah, Stu, that's a really good question. I mean, it was a, a couple of different things kind of happening at the same time. And, and I'm looking back, you know, five or six years ago, um, and on, on one hand, you had things in, which have continued to change with, with the surging customers that we serve. And so as, as their market has changed, you know, the needs that they have and what they're looking for and our ability to, to, to meet those needs has, has needed to evolve as well. Um, and whether that's, you know, uh, pricing considerations as as reimbursement continues to go down, or whether that's you know uh, they're looking for legitimate opportunities to partner with industry, or whether that's just you know looking for uh, you know a variety of options from 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 sourcing in different areas. So that was the first kind of you know the the pressure that 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 we were seeing was that, and and that was combined with some local pressures that we were seeing you know let, that I think everybody is seeing from from our position as sales reps, which is you know declining commissions. Uh, you know, declining sales price in, in, in a limited and, and often shaking, shrinking geography. And, and when you kind of put those two things together, pretty soon the, the status quo started to look, you know, pretty undesirable in, in, that, in that vision that if things stay the same as they are right now, the track that we're running on is simply not sustainable. And so that's a, kind of the light switch to start looking at things in a little bit of a different way. Yeah. And since I know you, I know something that happened in the past with with you, I believe there was one instance where you had the opportunity with a hospital that was going sole vendor. How did that experience help shape your thinking about orthopedics as well? Yeah, so I mean, our, our market isn't the only place uh, where the sole vendor uh, you know experiment has been tried. Uh, you know what I have seen in a situation like that is, is I understand the heart behind it and in the and the idea from from a buying side that, that consolidating down the vendorship will, you know, give you access to better pricing and all that. You can control the cost and things like that, um, which is which is what we saw at the attempt was in the market that, that we're serving. Uh, practically, that's not been my experience. You know, there, there's a number of challenges going sole vendor. One is getting buy-in from surgeons, you know, that anytime that you're looking at reducing vendors, you're looking at reducing opportunity for them to make choices and, and, and surgeons tend not to receive that well, at least in my experience. But the bigger issue is from the, from the the buying side is is that you know I, I think it often has a, a, a counter effect. It, it does not work the way that it's anticipated, which would be rather than than controlling the cost, a lot of times you're, you're giving all of the leverage back to one single player, and now that keeps the floor on the price up rather than allowing a free competition, you know, between a variety of different uh, uh, offerings. If that makes sense, it makes a lot of sense. So, question that I have is you have been doing this for several years now. What is true about being a broker of medical devices that when you went into this, you wouldn't have thought this was true or you would have said, no, this isn't true. What's one kind of thing that's, that stood out to you? Yeah. Really, really good question. So right away my mind went to this idea when I, when I came in, I did start with a large orthopedic company. One of, uh, you know, the, the, the big, the big one or two or three that, that, that everybody would know. Uh, and, and admittedly at that time, you know, the bias that I had towards the rest of the market was, is that the rest of the market was an inferior place to play. That if you were looking for the quote unquote, best of the best solutions, it would have to come from a, a box that had a certain logo on it. 
that was the mindset when I was when I was coming in, and, and uh, that has proven to me to be very untrue. Uh, in fact, what I have seen, and I think a lot of other people would agree, is that the innovation is actually happening outside of Big Oil for reasons that we can probably all appreciate. I mean, they're not in a position to innovate the way that small companies are because of you know their markets and where they are at in their you know in, in their company life cycle and all of that. And so, so that would be the biggest thing is this idea that there's this big gulf between, you know, the, the big orthopedic manufacturers from a quality standpoint and from an offering standpoint and, you know, quote unquote, smaller to, 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 to medium orthopedic companies. The idea that there's a big gap there to me has been a light bulb. That, that simply has not been my experience. In fact, a lot of times, as I said, the innovation is actually happening uh, on the small side and, until it gets bought up by the big side and, the, and then it suddenly becomes a much more palatable option to, you know, to, to the market. So. Right. That, that's something that struck me too, is that there, there's a lot of times where products in our industry are considered no good until a company acquires <laughs> yeah. them and then, yeah. right. and then they go on to be market leading products. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. So let's talk to other people out there who may be feeling stuck with where they are, uh, not necessarily with a big ortho company, but that would be the vast majority of people that feel stuck right now in our industry. Yeah. If they're out there thinking, how do I get out of this, uh, you know, feeling stuck? How do I get out of this? What, what would your advice to them be? Yeah, so the, the, the first thing that I recommend is, you know, it, it's not an original idea, but, you know, Stephen Covey talks about, you know, in, in the habits of highly effective people, you know, begin with the end in mind. I mean, understanding where it is that you want to end up. That was such a big part of the journey for, for you know, for me when we were going back through that and looking at things as, you know, again, where, where do I want this business to end up? What do I want this to look like in, in two, three, five, 10 years? And, and, and is the path I'm on, you know, taking me closer to that or taking me away from that? And so once you kind of have that vision cast, as far as here's where we're going, it becomes much easier to reverse engineer it and, and, and you know, and decide, am I on a path that's leading me there? Or, you know, what changes do I need to make in order to get there? And then, and then if you've done that, you know, to me, the next biggest thing is to Man, we've spent a lot of time getting wise counsel in this industry and, and, and reaching out to other people with similar experiences or on similar tracks and, and trying to look at things from a variety of different perspectives. And so the, you know, the, the biggest challenge that I see people make uh, when it doesn't work well is, is I see quick decision making. Uh, sometimes it appears on the outside looking in without a ton of thought like, you know, hey, we'll just jump, make this change. Everything will be better on the other side, and, and a lot of times it's not if it's if it's done poorly. And, and so th- those would be the two things: just vision casting and and making sure you surround yourself with people that that you know that will give you honest and, and constructive feedback and, and help you to think things through. Yeah, no, I totally agree with the honest and constructive feedback because if you go to your customer base, who the reality is, is we spend a lot of time with them, so we become we do become friends with them, and. Just give me your input on on those relationships and what influence would look like in our industry. Yeah, so I mean, it, obviously, it's going to depend a lot on on the individual situations. Um, you, you know, uh, of course, we're all you know working hard to pursue a, a situation where we can be become a, a trusted resource. I mean, somebody that is is providing you know actual tangible value to our customer base. That's that's the goal. Um, you know, what I see a lot of times is, is yeah, again, outside looking in is this idea that I'm indispensable mm-hmm. in a situation where that might not actually be true. You know, there are certainly situations where people have legitimate influence in the industry where they're providing something that's unique, either from a product standpoint or from a service standpoint or from a relational standpoint or from a knowledge standpoint, et cetera. Uh, 
um, you know, but but really kind of drilling down and, and, and trying to understand where it is that the value comes from uh, to create a platform to have the conversation to say, you know, you know, whether or not a, a surgeon is looking at, at, at other options or is open to look at, to me, that is of, of less consequence. Understanding where where do I stack up in the marketplace is what, what's important. Do I, you know, is this legitimate? For my career path, what would you advise me to do? How are you thinking through this and, and how would it impact them and, and how might it impact you are all things that I think need to be, you know, thoughtfully considered. Right. So if I'm reading between the lines there, you're also saying that influence isn't just necessarily like, Hey, I'm calling on Dr. Smith. I service him. I'm going to switch companies. He's going to switch with me. It part of influence would be just the ability to have these open candid conversation with honest feedback from them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, you're hundred percent correct. I mean, it, it has, it, it scared me a little bit. The number of times I've talked with competitive reps, just about the landscape of the industry and, and they're thinking through things and, you know, having a conversation say like, you know, would, would so-and-so be open to having a conversation? I mean, uh, it, it always starts like, Hey, listen, I, I, I have, I have this influence. I'm incredibly well-respected. Everybody, you know, thinks that I'm awesome. And then when you get down to brass tacks, like, well, what would you think about having a conversation with it? Like, I, I could never ask him that. I mean, I could never, I could never sit down and talk to him. It's like, you know, boy, if you can't have a conversation with somebody uh, off the record, candidly, and, and look for just some honest feedback on what they think about market options or what they think about the future of our industry or where things are heading. Uh, if, if you're not comfortable having a conversation like that, then it, I would really caution you to, to slow down and, and, and look at whether or not you, you have the influence that you think. Right. So, so practically, you talked about, you know, the steps you would take is creative vision, you know, and, and plan out where you want to be reverse engineer that. Let's talk about something that a lot of people in our industry have, which is a non-compete. Sure. What, what would you counsel people on non-competes as they're looking to move away from where they are? Yeah. Well, the first thing I would counsel, obviously it's easy with the benefit of hindsight is, is, is I have worked my way personally out of the non-competes and, and I would not choose to operate business-wise in our industry with a non-compete moving forward, which, is, which has meant in the last couple of years that, that there has been some opportunities that have not come together because of that, because that's a sticking point. Um, but that's a, there's, there's a thousand opportunities that work, and so I'm, I'm not very worried about that. But, but that's the first thing is I, I would counsel somebody to really strongly either consider you know, not having a non-compete at all or, or the idea that uh, a contract is negotiable. You know, when I started in this industry almost 12 years ago, the, you know, my line of thinking at the time, somewhat naive, was that, hey, listen, if a company slides a contract across the table, it has to be signed. That's what it is. That's what you do. I'm either agreeing or I'm not. And right. the reality is, is that everything about the contract is negotiable, including the non-compete. And so we can, even if there has to be some structure for things that are protecting legitimate proprietary business interest, I get that some of the scope of, of, of the non-competes often, you know, is, is, is probably over the top. And so that would be the first thing is don't get into it in the first place. But if you're in that spot, you know, I really advise somebody to, again, seek counsel, find other people in the industry who have navigated through that process, because, you know, again, not having, you know, the context of it going through it the first time, it's scary, you know, be, be, because the way that, uh, in my experience, orthopedic companies a lot of times tend to, to operate is uh, a little heavy handed in that in that area. And, and there's a lot of, um, you know, I, I think that there's, you know, the environment is kind of chaotic. And I think that companies look to kind of capitalize on that and create, you know, create some fear and, and uh, create some anxiety and, and use that as, as a way to, to, to keep people from, from kind of exploring other options, which I, which I think is unfortunate. So seeking wise counsel, there are ways to kind of navigate through that. 
um, you know, aligning yourself with other good people is, is a great place to start. Right. Well, interesting. I just had a conversation today with a friend of mine who he uh, represents multiple companies. He picked up a smaller company for some of their products, had them for about six months, uh, wasn't gaining a lot of, a lot of traction, did a little bit with them. Um, and he had a conversation with the company. They want to move on to someone else, but yet they still want to hold them to the non-compete that he signed, which as I mentioned to him, it's kind of funny that yeah. you, you are not good enough to promote our products anymore. Yet you are far too valuable to yeah. let you run yeah. around and, and try yeah. and do other business. Yeah. And that to me is just non-competes are creating in our industry, at least for the most part, I'm sure there are, you know, a few outliers where it's, it's legitimate, but they're creating a license to manipulate on one side against the other. Yeah. Again, I, I think you would agree that certainly uh, nobody is advocating that legitimate proprietary business interests aren't protected. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the, the secret Coke formula, for example, I, I get all of that, um, you know, but, but we're uh, in most of our industry, again, there's, there's not a market that no, that everybody knows who's doing, uh, you know, total joints as an example. I mean, this is not a, a big secret who these surgeons are who are operating in any given area. And so this idea that there's a lot of secret information and things like that from a, from a sales standpoint, I don't think is, is true. And, and again, it, it's a leverage point, uh, I think is, is been my experience and, and not one that I would sign up to participate with. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, appreciate the time. I had to talk with you a little bit. If there are reps out there who are contemplating this in the midst of it, and they want to reach out to you for, for a conversation, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, the, uh, the best way, I appreciate that. The best way would either be just a, a straight DM on LinkedIn, uh, certainly around there, uh, having conversations. Uh, we also have a, red, a, a website uh, at www.repfreedom.com. Uh, and the idea there is really just engaging a conversation. I mean, you know, not looking to, to do anything other than to just uh, interact with people and, and give them um, a sounding board. I mean, again, for my experience to try to navigate a situation like this, if you're looking at transition in our industry and you're doing it by yourself, uh, that's a scary prospect. And so having other people who have walked before you uh, who might be able to offer a little bit of insight on kind of what that process looks like, some things to think about. Uh, and, and questions to ask and, and resources that could be helpful is, is a great place to start. And so repfreedom.com uh, would certainly be a place to, to connect there. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Hey, my we'll pleasure. You Thank soon. you. Have a good day. Take All care right, now. You too. Bye. Bye-bye.